Okay, we're going to go fast tonight, but before we do, let me just take a word to talk to you about next week's series. It's not just the biggest series I've ever been part of. It's way bigger than anything I've ever been part of. It's only two weeks long. And uh, I got to tell you, it's called New Springers, and you're going to, I promise you, you will not want to miss these two sermons. In fact, I've been working on them for months. I know this is going to sound hyper-spiritual. This kind of thing doesn't happen to me very long. God woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was just bang. It was on my monitor. In fact, I kind of asked God, are you sure you want me to talk? I cannot wait for these two weeks. It's like the Holy Spirit's been sitting on my shoulders really heavy about this. It's going to be explosive. It's going to be wonderful. And you're going to want the shirt that goes with the series. That starts next weekend, only two weeks long. And then Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis is going to be with us the uh, week after that. So we've got a lot, a lot of cool things in store. And then a series called Friends that picks up in September. But that's, that, that's in the future. Tonight, we close out Summer of Love with a song, or the song, song, with a talk called Light My Fire. And we started with the question, do you know how to make love? And from week one, we said it takes three things to make love. And um, often there's a story, there's a narrative that goes if you really make love. Uh, it begins, and this is not one of the things that it takes to make love, but it begins, your story begins with attraction or chemistry. And, of course, uh, the question has this kind of personal about you. What, it, what, what does it take to attract you to someone else? Um, and it's interesting. Uh, I don't have time to talk about it tonight, but there, there's a lot of foolish things that are, that are spoken from evolutionary psychology about what it takes to attract, uh, why we're attracted to other people. Some people think in, in evolutionary psychology, you know, millions of years ago, our ancestors uh, wanted to reproduce, so they looked at what they thought were potential candidates for reproduction. So those qualities have now come forward to us, and that's why we tend to be attracted to people of the opposite sex today. I think if you have to spend money for us, survey as to what causes you to be attracted, you've got some issues. But we'll, we'll save that for another time. But here's the deal. When, whenever you're attracted to the person that eventually you'll make love with, it, it just sort of depends on, on, on who you are. Many people are attracted to somebody based on appearance. And if I ask you, you know, for those of you who are trying to, to find someone to make love to, if I ask you, what is it that causes you to be attractive, you would say, well, hey, Mark, I'm looking for somebody who's hot. I mean, that is an answer that I get a lot today. Huh? I'm looking for somebody who's hot. Could I just give you, I'm an old man, could I just give you a law of life in thermodynamics? <laughs> hot cools. I just want you to know that. <laughs> and, and some of you who, are, who, who have been in the process of years, for years of making love, you would say, well, Mark, I was first attracted uh, to her personality or to his personality, and that's fine. And, and, and I just think the, the wisest people in the world, you would say, well, well, Mark, I was attracted, first of all, because I found somebody who shared my values. And, and, and I really do believe that is the highest form of attraction. I found somebody who shared my values. But in any event, it all begins with attraction. And, and, or it could just be a combination of those three things. Because if you can find somebody hot who shares your values, you really are doing a great job there. Um, <clears throat> But, but, but that's how it starts. And in our world today, you and I are dealing with a world in which there, it, it kind of works like this. It starts with attraction. There are sparks that fly, and then we have sex, and then we spend the rest of the time with our relationship trying to figure out where we are. It was attraction, went straight to sex, and now where are we? Where are we in the relationship? And in our culture today, 
and I struggle to find the sense of it, but, but there are people that like are attracted and then it's sex and then they'll actually have a child and still be trying to sort out where their relationship is. But that's not making love. And so this series has all been, all been about making love. And, and so after attraction, we, we talked about the three things that are necessary to making love. And first of all was intimacy, getting to know the other person, learning who the other person really is, and becoming best friends. And Jonathan brought a talk and gave you many wonderful tools about intimacy and, and how important intimacy is and that closeness. And then, then we talked about commitment. Commitment is the second thing because Love without commitment is a fraud. I can't state it any simpler than that. And so last week you saw the message that I preached uh, four or five years ago about commitment. And, and commitment is choosing to love. And remember the illustration if you were here last week, what makes a classic car? A classic car is somebody's chosen to love that particular car. It's not necessarily that that was the best car to roll off the assembly line, just somebody chose to love that particular one. What makes a classic marriage a classic marriage? Somebody chose to love that particular man. Somebody chose to love that particular woman, and it became a classic. So intimacy, commitment. Tonight I want to talk to you about the third and this powerful ingredient that God has given us to make love. Before I give it to you, just understand this. God has wired us with two powerful forces. God has just wired our minds to have two powerful forces. Physical attraction and a craving for sexual gratification. Now the question is tonight, what is his purpose with giving us that physical attraction for someone of the opposite sex, and a craving for sexual gratification. What was his purpose? Now, let me just tell you this. The problem with promiscuity and the problem with porn, which is pandemic in our culture today, but the problem with both promiscuity and porn is to believe that the physical attraction and the craving for sexual gratification are purposes within themselves. In other words, a guy who's into porn is thinking, you know, I've got a physical attraction going on and I've got a craving for sexual gratification. That is the purpose. So consequently, this pornographic image, this pornographic film, satisfies or causes me to satisfy those two things. Consequently, the purpose has been met. But we are not at that shallow point. We are people who are Christ followers. And so when we look at the fact that we were, we were created by Almighty God, the genius, the unbelievable genius that he is, the wonderful way that he's made us, why did he give us the physical attraction and the craving for sexual gratification? And the answer is given to us almost at the very beginning of the Bible, and that is that when we find the person that we become best friends with, whom we commit to for a lifetime, it is a physical manifestation, it is a physical way of bringing us together and to make us one. We were built for this purpose physically. By the way, this is, this is for another talk, and, and I really have so much to cover tonight, I shouldn't even take this little side trouble. There's a really kind of interesting thing when you look at how the Bible tells us about creation. When God made Eve, he used a very different Hebrew word from all the other terms that God made or used for creation. For instance, most of the stuff, most of the words for made or created in the Bible are just sort of generic terms. When God used the word for making Adam, ladies, that means he kind of stuffed him into a mold. But when God spoke about making Eve, he used the word built. So God built Eve. 
like the little girl who was sitting on her granddad's lap, and she said, Granddaddy, did God make you? And he said, yes. He said, did God make me? He said, and he said, yes. And he said, you know, I think he's been doing better work lately. And I, I, I think that that's kind of, for, for most of us guys would agree with that, that God saved his best for last. Back in the old days, when guys would talk about a beautiful woman, they might say she's built. Well, they were more right than they knew because that's the term. And, and all I'm saying is this. I mean, if you just consider anatomy, God built us so that physically we could become one. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore a man leaves his father and mother, embraces his wife. Can I say it blunter than this? They become one flesh. What's the purpose behind physical attraction? What's the purpose for sexual gratification? God wanted to incentivize this thing of becoming one. I've done a lot of weddings through the years, probably hundreds and maybe over a thousand. I don't know. I have no idea how many weddings I've done. But through the years, we always have some sort of symbol for the becoming one. You know, we have the unity candle, the unity sand. That's fine for in church, but I just want you to know, God's symbol for becoming one is sex. It's as blunt as that. Now, God is very smart, and he created sex for a reason, so the two people who were intimate and committed to it for, for a lifetime God knew that we would be inclined to drift. Women, you know, the woman would have certain interests. The man would have certain interests. He understood that we would be inclined to drift. But in a healthy marriage, the physical attraction and the craving, doesn't it just have a way of bringing us back into each other's orbit? You know, you can watch ESPN for a while, but your wife has just got something that just has a way of bringing you back into her world. So I believe that God gave us that for a purpose. But with that said, all of us who are married, all of us who have ever been married, with that said, we would all have to agree that sex is still a challenge. There's, a, there's still a challenge that goes with it. I mean, some of you are here tonight and you say, Mark, I'm married, but... We're struggling. There's not enough sex, or I feel used, or I feel like I'm going through the motions, or we can't agree. Well, I don't want to go too deep into theology and a message on sex, but let me just have the facts of life talk with you because there are three things that you need to know about why we struggle with sex. And the first thing that you need to know is that once there was perfect sex, once there was a couple who had perfect sex, I just want you to know that. Wasn't at the Hefner Mansion, wasn't in Vegas, it was in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, Adam and Eve, the Bible says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So before sin came into our world, there was perfect sex. There was a couple who had total freedom. They had no hang-ups. They had no hidden agendas. And I think that is what the Bible is really trying to get across to us when it says they were naked, and they felt no hang-ups. They felt no shame. There, was no, there were no issues with their sexual relationship. Now, I'm not trying to be salacious, but don't you just kind of wonder what was sex like in that situation where it was perfect, there were no problems, there were, there were no differences of, well, I think this and I think that and you're not meeting my needs and you're not pleasing me. I mean, once sex was perfect. But the second thing that you need to know is that something went very wrong in the garden. And here's the thing. For, for some of us who come from a religious tradition that say that, 
the original sin was sex. Nuts to that. That's not, the, nothing went wrong with their sex life. That is not what they, they didn't do anything wrong sexually. One thing, there's nobody else there to do anything wrong with. They committed treason. God gave them one rule, and they broke it. And it wasn't significant specifically the rule that they broke. It was just simply that in choosing to go against God, they committed treason against God. And, and those who study theology through the years have called this the fall. In other words, when Adam sinned, that's when all the bad stuff came into our world. God had said to Adam and Eve, I don't want you to know the dark side. I just want you to know what it's like to be perfect. But when Adam and Eve sinned, all the dark stuff, pain, all kinds of things came into the world. And the Lord articulated when he confronted Adam and Eve, he told them life is going to be very difficult now. Things that used to come easy are now going to be hard. Agriculture is going to be difficult, childbirth, so on and so forth. God had said, look, it used to be easy for you. A lot of stuff that was easy isn't going to be easy anymore. In the world that you and I know, why do bad things happen in our world happen? Because it can all be traced back to the first, our first parents who committed treason against God. And at that point, genetically, we were all inside them. All that's clear in Romans chapter 5. Now here's the thing about what happened after the fall. And God, I think, trying to tell Adam, you can still do agriculture, but it won't be like it was. You know, you still be able to have children, but it won't be like it would have been. Miriam is in this service. I remember years ago, she, she really wanted a PDA. For those of you who don't know what that is, that is a prehistoric smartphone. But you were able, you know, it was, just, it was just a huge device at the time. You were able to get online and, you know, get your email and answer your email. and had a little, you know, wand that went with it. And Meryl just loved it. Red, little red thing. It's just cute as a bug. And, and <laughs> she loved it. But I remember one day we were at the mall, and, and she didn't realize that, that when she was... She had the, the PDA in her lap, and when she stood up, it fell on the, on the pavement. Now, one, what's the first question we have when we drop an expensive electronic device on the pavement? Does this still work? Well, yes, it still worked, but from that point on, it started doing funky things. I mean, sometimes you could call out, but you couldn't get a call in, and then there would be wavely lines, and sometimes the screen would go blank. It still worked, but it didn't work right. And that's what we need to understand about our world. After our first parent's sin, it still worked, but it doesn't work right. And although Adam and Eve's sin had nothing to do with sex, it affected their sex life. Look at this in Genesis 3, verse 7. After they did wrong, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And I always grimace when I read that because fig leaves have little sticker-like things that are painful. You know what happened? I mean, seriously, here's the thing. After they did, they, 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 didn't, they had no hang-ups. They were naked. They had no issues. But after they did wrong, suddenly Eve said to Adam, I don't feel right around you anymore. And Adam was saying, I don't feel right around you anymore. And then God explained to him it was going to go deeper than that. In Genesis 3, verse 16, when he was giving them the postmortem on what they did wrong, he said, and you will desire to, speaking to Eve, you will desire to control your husband. He will rule over you. In other words, God was saying, not only is this going to mess up your sex life, it's actually going to mess up your relationship. Sin is going to cause each one of you to want to have his own way. 
So as I give you the facts of life, I want you to know, first of all, there was perfect sex one time. Secondly, something bad happened and it affected sex. But here's the good news. Here's, here's what, I, what I hoped you would come for tonight. Although you can't have perfect sex, you can have almost perfect sex. Isn't that good to know? Even though you can't have perfect sex anymore, that was in the Garden of Eden, you can have almost perfect sex. How do you have almost perfect sex? Okay, some of you still locked back there in the attraction thing. Find somebody hot. No, 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 no. Work with me. Use your head. Use the logic that God gave you. What caused sex to be messed up in the first place? Treason against God. Further you get away from God's design, further you get into trouble. So how do you get things to work well? You move back toward God's design. And the closer you get back to God's design, the closer you get back to perfection. This is just, and I wish I had time to develop this tonight. I've got so much to say. But this is true in so many ways. This is one of the acts, if I've got ten axioms for life that I've developed over the years of studying Scripture and, and walking with God, this has clearly got to be one of the ten and probably close to the top. If stuff is screwed up in your world, which it is, it's a broken world, if you want things to be right, just move back as close as you can possibly get to the designer's design. Now, when Jesus came to our world, he emphasizes. Let me show you. The Pharisees, the religious people that were Jesus' nemeses, came to Jesus one time. They were trying to trip him up, and they asked him about divorce. And they said, basically, is it all right to get a divorce for anything? And when Jesus' answer did not satisfy them, they said this, Moses gave permission to fill out a certificate of dismissal and divorce her. And this was because it was a very male-dominated culture back in the day. And a lot of times back in Moses' day, there was a man who would just get tired of a woman. He would just basically say, I don't, I don't want you anymore. You're out of here. And he would take up with somebody new a whole lot like people do today. But the problem was for that poor woman, she had no status anymore. Was she married? Was she you know, she's still married. What was her situation? And so God, because of the hardness of their hearts, allowed Moses to bring in the concept of divorce. That's not what this is about. I want to just read to you what Jesus said. Verse 5, Moses wrote this command only as a concession to your hard-hearted ways. In the original creation, God made male and female to be together. And, and I don't mean to talk about this tonight, but you know, we're wrestling with the same-sex marriage thing, and there's so much misinformation about this. I was watching something the other day, and, and they were talking about it, and they said, well, you know, just, just in the Old Testament. No, most of it's in the New Testament. And, but probably the one that got me the most is somebody said, Jesus never talked about it. Yeah, I did. Look at this, verse 7. Because of this, a man leaves his father and mother in marriage. He becomes one flesh with a woman, no longer two individuals, but forming a new un unity because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. Now, what I find significant about this, and this is what I want to get to, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question about broken world, and Jesus answered them by giving them an answer about design. So many times we want to know about why is this broken world broken? Why does the broken world function like it does? And God doesn't answer that question for us, and it leaves a lot of people cold, and they're wondering, why doesn't God let me know why this world is broken? But instead of answering the question, God takes us back to design. With that in mind, I want to talk to you about God's design 
for almost perfect sex. I'll give you four things. All right? Four things. Number one, be in the mood for sex. Be in the mood. I want to italicize the word mood. Because see, here is the thing. Sex is more than physical. Sex happens in an emotional environment. Isn't that true? And so what I want you to look at is the environment where sex thrives. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, the Bible says, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what kind of mood does sex thrive in, healthy sex? Healthy sex thrives in a place where a husband has a mood of love that not only he feels in his heart, but he communicates to his wife, and the wife has the mood of respect, which she not only holds, but she communicates to her husband. Right now, I want to do something. I want to take you to um, the Song of Solomon. In fact, I'll use that a lot tonight as we talk about sex, because it is the book about sexual expression in the Bible. And some of this is going to be pretty blunt, but it is in the Bible. So for those of you who struggle with, shall they talk about sex in church? I think we probably should, since the one who designed church is the God who wrote the Bible. Anyway, let me just show you this. And, and, and this is what, uh, these are some tremendous texts to me about expressing love. In Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 1, the woman is saying, I'm just a wildflower. Now, I don't know why it is, but it seems to me that, that many women are a little bit worried about their physical appearance. I've, I've known very beautiful women who were anxious about their physical appearance. And so here is a woman who is saying, you know, I'm just a weed. And that's basically what she's saying. I'm just a weed. The man said, yeah, a lotus blossoming in a swamp of weeds. That's my dear friend among the girls in the village. So here's the woman who is saying, you know, I'm a little insecure about my appearance. I, I feel like a weed and, or a lotus. And he said, yeah, you're a beautiful flower among, and he basically said all the other girls are weeds. So I, I think that's, that's pretty good. Expressing love means making her feel beautiful. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 6, his left hand cradles my head and his right arm encircles my waist. That's making her feel loved and protected. Song of Solomon 2 verse 10, my lover has arrived and he's speaking to me. How many husbands would express love if they would just talk to their wives? I've, I've had so many women through the years tell me, I just can't get them to talk to me. I think what's good about talking to your, you say, well, Mark, I, I, I just don't talk a whole lot. Well, then that means we've got to get outside of our comfort zone because talking to your wife makes her feel loved in the sense that she's included into your world. The Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8, I gave you this in the first week. Even among 60 queens and 80 concubines and countless young women, I would still choose my dove, my perfect one. I just put, you make her feel only. You make her feel like she's the only one. That's love. Love is helping her once again feel beautiful, feel loved and protected, feel included, and feel only. Remember, being in the mood for love is being in the mood in which you express love for your wife. Well, what would respect be like? Well, look at this in Song of Solomon 1.4. She said, everyone loves you, of course, and why not? Do you think that's true? Do you think everybody really loved him? Probably not, but she said to him, everybody loves you. Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 10. She's talking about her husband. He's one in a million. There's no one quite like him. 
And I gave you this also in the first week, Song of Solomon 8, verse 11. Solomon has a vineyard at Belhaman, which he leases out to tenant farmers. Each of them pays a thousand pieces of silver for harvesting its fruit. But my vineyard is mine to give, and Solomon need not pay a thousand pieces of silver. Basically what she is saying is, I do not make my husband buy sex. I do not make my husband jump through hoops to have sex. I do not use sex as a currency in our relationship. That's respect. Song of Solomon 5, verse 14, his torso is the work of a sculptor. Some of you are saying, Mark, I'd have to have an awful imag big imagination for that. <laughs> his torso is the work of a sculptor hard and smooth as ivory. The reason I chose this text is verse 15. It says he stands tall like a cedar. You know why he stands tall like a cedar? She doesn't cut him down. I just want to challenge all of you who are in a married relationship, don't think that sex happens outside of an emotional environment, whether you're a man or a woman. God has given us the mood for sex. God has given us the emotional component for sex. For a man, it is to love his wife. And here's the thing, guys. Please listen to me. Love's not love until she feels like it's love. You say, well, I love her. She should know how I feel. No, no, no. Love's not love till she feels loved. Respect's not respect until he feels respected. Number two, talk sex. You know, <laughs> there's almost nonstop talk about sex. I mean, you know, it seems like if I watch television, they won't sell me a car, they talk sex. You know, if they won't sell me a pair of blue jeans, they talk sex. And if you turn on a television show today, they're going to talk sex. In movies, they talk sex. You go to church, Mark's talking about sex. I mean, it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I've discovered? This is what just freaks me out. It's almost like everybody's talking about sex except the two people who need to talk about it. Hey, I want to encourage all of you who are married, talk about sex. You say, well, Mark, I don't think I should need to talk about it. I'll just send signals. <laughs> Here's the deal. There's not a man in the world who thinks like a woman, and there's not a woman in the world who thinks like a man. There's not a man in the world who knows how a woman thinks, and there's not a woman in the world who knows how a man thinks. I mean, when the creator created us, he just tunes different keys. I mean, I grew up playing, and, and I played high, all the way through school and college. I played a trumpet. Trumpet's in the key of B flat. Piano's in the key of C. Now, here's the deal. If a trumpet plays a C, it's not the same as when a piano plays a C. And it's going to be discord. And so the piano player is going to say to the trumpet, you're playing the wrong note. That's not a C. And the trumpet player is going to say, no, you're playing the wrong note. It's just that they're tuned to different keys. And see, that's what happens in a relationship. A lot of times, the wife is just saying, well, this is what is right. I don't know why he can't get it. And the husband is saying, this is what is right. I don't know why she can't get it. We're just tuned to different keys. And for some reason, instead of talking about what we need in sex, we send signals. And so a guy says, well, and I've had this before, you know, I just send signals. Well, what do you do if she doesn't pick them up? Well, I just pout. I figure she'll I just give her the silent treatment. She'll get it. 
And ladies, let me just tell you something. Just be honest with me. He couldn't pick up your signals if they were broadcast on the ESPN. I, I just want you to know that. We just, we're just wired differently. Ladies, your husband is probably not going to get up in the morning and say, you know, babe, let's just take this day and why don't we start the day and have breakfast at the tea room and then go look at some antiques and then just come home and sit by the fire and cuddle. <laughs> if he does, you have either the weirdest man in the world <laughs> or the most brilliant. I'm not sure which. I mean, here's the thing. There's, we should be able to talk with each other about sex. Remember the first couple were naked and felt no shame. They had no hang-ups. And one thing I love about Song of Solomon is they talk. They talk about sex. They talk with each other. I mean, and, and she's, I mean, this is in Song of Solomon 3.1. She says, restless in bed and sleepless through the night. I long for my lover. I wanted him desperately. His absence was painful. I found him. I threw my arms around him and held him tight. Wouldn't let him go till I had him home again. In Song of Solomon 4, 16, she says, Breathe on my garden, fill the air with spice fragrance. Oh, let my lover enter his garden. Yes, let him eat the fine ripe fruits. And then he says to her in Song of Solomon 7, 6, Your beauty within and without is absolute. You're tall and supple like the palm tree, and your full breasts are like the sweet clusters of dates. I say I'm going to climb that palm tree. I mean, here is a couple that is talking. You say, is that in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. Some of you go stop by the bookstore on the way out and buy a Bible. Just... Talk sex. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the deal. And, and, and guys, I'm, I'm, I'm having a little fun with you tonight, but I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that's broken my heart through the years is couples will, like, get to the brink of breaking up over sex issues, and if they would just ask each other for what they need. But the reason we don't ask is pride. And here's the thing. Some of you out there will say, oh, well, I just was brought up not to talk about sex. No, 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 no. You're filled with pride. And because you're filled with pride, you have a hard time asking the woman that you're best friends with, that you're committed to a lifetime, you have a hard time asking her for what you need, or you have a hard time asking him for what you need. Hey, that, you say, well, it's not easy. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that got broken in the curse, that just in the fall, that doesn't work right. But talk, sex. Number three, go to bed with an agenda. Uh, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. The marriage bed must be the place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. It's getting quiet in here. i got to do this three more times, guys. you got to make some noise. I mean, here's the thing about... Here's the problem, and, 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 I, and I put that go to bed with an agenda because a lot of us are going to bed with an agenda. It's just the wrong agenda. We go to bed because with the agenda of I want my needs met. I, I want to accomplish what I want to accomplish here. And yet Scripture says, and by the way, we said if we're going to have almost perfect sex, we've got to move back toward the designer's design. And in almost perfect sex, the two people who go to bed go to bed there to please the other person. In fact, the Bible says, that should be your M.O., whether it's in bed or out of bed. Got to finish here. Number four, if you want to get back to the designer's design, 
What happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. Now, you, you could think that this is about talking to other people about your sex life. Unless you're talking to a, a therapist or a counselor, that's a bad idea. Really is a bad idea. If you don't have anything to talk to your friends about except your sex life, you need a bigger life. Really, seriously. But I'm not talking about that. What I'm really talking about is this. If you want to get close to the designer's design for almost perfect sex, here's the thing in a healthy relationship. Never anybody else. Never anybody else. Not if you're on a business trip and it's never going to matter and it's just sex. Never anybody else. If we're talking about an image in a pornographic video, what I'm talking about tonight is you need to make a commitment. And you say, well, Mark, that sounds boring. <laughs> no, no. This is the way the designer set it up. And if it's going to be meaningful, if it's going to be awesome and almost perfect, and, you know, I think about this from Song of, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. This is what this woman said to her husband. Hang my locket around your neck. Wear, wear my ring on your finger. I mean, that, that's why we wear wedding rings. And that's why, that's why, that's what marriage is all about. I mean, that's what sex is all about. God gave it to us so that it would bring us back into the orbit of the person that we're committed to, that we share intimacy with. And, and there's this woman who was saying to, to her husband, I want you to keep me with you always, whether I'm geographically with you or I'm not geographically with you. And in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18, the advice is given to men. I'm sure it can be just as easily given to women, and this is, this is blunt, but I think we need to hear the bluntness of it. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, Guys, enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit. Oh, great day. Man, this should just be a sermon right here. Don't ever quit taking delight in her. Say, well, March, she doesn't look at 45 the way she looked at 25. Neither do you. I mean, there's nothing here about how she looks. There's nothing here about what age does or gravity. I mean, there's just nothing here about that. It says, don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a whore? Scripture. For, <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Bible just doesn't learn the term sexually active. I'm sorry. It just doesn't, doesn't recognize that. For, for dalliance with a promiscuous stranger... Mark well that God doesn't miss a move you make. He's aware of every step you take. The shadow of your sin will overtake you. You'll find yourself stumbling all over yourself in the dark. Death is a reward of an indisciplined life. And guys, I'm not trying to just load up on, on us tonight. But here's the deal. If we don't hear this message in church, would you please tell me for the love of the Lord, where are we going to hear it? You expect, you expect to get this on television? You expect to get this in the movies. You expect to get this in pop culture. You expect to get this in music, not unless you listen to Christian music. 
But I'm telling you, this is the truth. I mean, I have spent so much of my 55 years talking to people who did what the world said is really good for hot sex, and yet it just continues to blow up their life day in and day out. And here's what I want to say. Yeah, it doesn't work because it fell and is broken in the fall, and it works but not like it's supposed to. But if we're going to have almost perfect sex, then we need to get back to the designer's design. And I tell you, if you'll do this, you can say, well, Mark, I have, I've, got, I've got to start all over with number one, number two, number three, and number four. I haven't been here before. It's okay. I mean, one of the things that we're going to learn in our series, New Springers, is every day is a new day. Every day, God's got new mercies. If yesterday was a screw-up day, then start over today. If you've got years of bad history behind you, say, I've got a bad marriage. No, you've had bad days. Let today be a new day and start over today. The Bible has said if we'll confess what is wrong, God will cleanse us and give us a brand new start. I just want you to know what works. Guys, thank you for being here. Thank you for your patience with a very frank but hopefully very meaningful talk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've taught us from your word tonight. And I pray that you'll help each of us in, in a world with so much sexual dysfunction. Especially think of our... Um, our young adults and, and, and teenagers and, and kids coming on. Now the, the messages are so skewed out there. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will just tattoo this message on our soul. We love you and thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for these awesome people who have come out tonight to, to worship you. Accept their worship, I pray, and hear their prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless. I'm going to ask Ryan to come now. We'll see you very soon. Next week, brand new series called New Springers.